0: This podcast is brought to you by Final Stretch Media. They gave me a voice. They turned my ideas into high-quality audio and video content. With their professional team, equipment, and expertise, they record, edit, and provide video and audio. Final Stretch Media has done a fantastic job with everything video and audio-related for me. So if you ever find yourself in the need, uh, you can find their information in the show notes. This podcast is also brought to you by Quickly Brain Racers, the first-ever live racing competition for the brain. Download their app and play live this weekend on an iOS device against the world. I have raced and it's really, really cool. So definitely check them out. You can find the link to the app in the show notes. So before getting started with today's episode, I briefly wanted to go over my motivation. Why is it that I even chose to do an episode of this nature? And for me, I really wanted to demonstrate to you How exactly to have an uncomfortable conversation and remain respectful while you're doing it. You know, there's a number of conversations that you're gonna have throughout your life. Some of them you're gonna enjoy. And then there's others that you're not gonna like so much. Uh, The uncomfortable variety. Uh, Whether, you know, you find yourself at a friend's party or perhaps a work function, and all of a sudden you're thrust into a conversation that you didn't expect to find yourself in and on top of that you don't really feel comfortable with what it is that you're discussing it makes you feel uncomfortable and how exactly you conduct yourself when you find yourselves in this situation is important right so you know there's a few scenarios you can gracefully bow out and you know just agree slightly perhaps disagree slightly and then kind of walk away maybe make up an excuse so that's one option there's another option where you can engage uh and then perhaps you could let your emotions get the best of you and at that point you you know there's probably some strong words being said uh there might be a little bit of yelling uh and then eventually you're going to walk away as well because everyone's uncomfortable uh due to the fact that the conversation has deteriorated into a yelling match. So of course, that's a that's a not a very good scenario at all. Now of course, there's another scenario where you can actually choose to engage and actually have a constructive dialogue. So this is where you, you know, ask probing questions. You get to know them a little bit better. They get to know you. And then at that point, After you get to know them, after you understand their positions a little bit better and why it is that they choose to have these beliefs, then you can begin to change their mind. And that's really what we're gonna be focusing on with this episode, is this last option here, where I get to know the other person and I get to understand why it is that they believe the things that they believe, and then at that point, I can begin to change their mind. Now, you may be asking yourself as you listen, Why I am not pushing back harder? Why it is that I'm not shaming this individual? Why I'm not yelling? Why I'm not getting super emotional? And these are good questions to have. But again, the reason being that this is something that I wanted to avoid is I wanted the dialogue to remain constructive. I really wanted to get to know the other person to see if I could change their mind. Uh, So don't get too worked up. You know, try to remain calm as you listen to it. It is long, Um, sometimes it's very difficult to hear the words that are being said, but at the end of the day, I think it's really important. Uh, It's important because there are all different types of people who walk throughout society and they all have different belief systems. Some are closer aligned than others, but you know, everyone is their own person and they put together their thoughts in a unique way. So it's really, really important that you understand that you're not going to agree all the time. And when you find yourself with somebody that you really don't agree with, that that uncomfortable conversation that you have can be turned into something that is constructive and hopefully something where both people can walk away having learned something. And if you're lucky enough that learned whatever was learned Um, actually turns into a changing of a belief or a changing of a habit or something of that nature. Anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. So, Welcome back to another episode of Thinking Critically. Today, I have a really interesting Something, something great in store for you, and I'm really, really excited about it because I've been challenged a few times before to kind of go out of my comfort zone, and it's something that I've also talked about on the show before. To go outside of my comfort zone and to have a conversation with somebody that I don't necessarily agree with, to try to find common ground, to listen, to understand, all of that. So today I am joined by Jim Matthews, who is actually the father to Steve Matthews, who I've I've had on the uh, show before as a local entrepreneur. And today we're just, we're gonna have a interesting conversation and we probably won't agree on everything, but that's just kind of how life is. Sometimes you just have to have uncomfortable conversations. So that's what today's episode is all about. And I really, really hope that you enjoy it. Anyway,
1: Jim, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's, uh, it's great to have you on. Well, thanks for the opportunity. My, my family's been after me to capture some of this for the longest time. And, um, and because I, I have conversations with them all the time, trying to, trying to describe the world as I've seen it in through, through basically 72 years. Okay. Um, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in the area that's really called Inglewood now, it was always called Englewood. Um, it wasn't the same as it is today, but it was always a, an integrated neighborhood. And um, through my entire education, my entire school, grammar school, I always went to integrated schools. Uh, it was the same school my mother went to that was an integrated school Um, went to high school on the south side of chicago and then and then eventually went into the military in in 1960 in the 66 65 i got out of high school you didn't have a choice the draft was the draft was still active a lot of people today don't even know what the draft was and a lot of them know the diluted version which is the lottery system that came out later But in those days, and if you graduated from high school in 1965, by the time you were 19, you would get a letter from the government saying greetings, and they were going to bring you into Vietnam. Yeah, into the into the military for Vietnam. During that period, I mean, a lot of decisions were made. Um, My dad was a a World War II vet, also POW captured in, in France. Moved around moved around uh, Europe in cattle cars at one mark, strafed by United States aircraft. I mean, it was the whole story that we hear about World War II vets. Didn't say much about it, didn't influence me one way or the other. But when I was 19, I felt it was a sense of duty. I lived in this country, I should pay some dues. And so I didn't avoid the draft in any way. And what I did is I, I chose my path. I had a job with the Bell System. And they had a program where if you were working there for a year, they would, they would maintain your time and service as seniority and allow you to serve the military and then come back as if you had not left. So, so when I, I, my plan was to, to leave for, to work for a year, leave for a period of time, and then come back at another skill level in the company. So it was kind of an engineered plan. To I, I had to serve anyway, so I went into the Air Force for four years. So you were you were drafted then? I was not drafted. Oh, you were not drafted. I enlisted. Oh, you enlisted. I enlisted, with with that plan, that because of the employer that I had, I could work. I had a year seniority with them, and if I they would they would cover me for the amount of time I was in the military and accumulate that seniority. So when I came out, I had five years seniority, and by union rules, that put me into another higher paid, higher skill job within the Air Force. Yeah, well. In, in, the, in the Bell System when I came back. Oh, in the Bell System. So that that was okay. my motivation for oh, I doing see. this, right? Okay. And and plus I was kind of a gearhead at the time, and I and I felt like um, it might be interesting working on an aircraft. So uh, although my job at the Bell System had to do with electronics, so I, I kind of had my choice of both when I enlisted, in it, but I chose electronics. i oh, sorry, me- mechanical. So they so so I was I was a mechanic. I worked on several different jet fighters, worked on B-52s, I worked on the ejection systems. It was an interesting job because every, aircraft, every military aircraft that has an ejection system, that system is, is probably the most dangerous system on the plane because they have more accidents with it, where, where it will, the seat will come out of some of those planes 185 feet in three-tenths of a second. So, if you, if, you, so if, you have, if you do that on the ground by mistake, you're done. So, so the good news was nobody wanted to be around, around when, when we were working on that. And um, and it was, it, but it wasn't that. It wasn't as bad a job as a lot. It was a good job, although it didn't have much 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 uh, application when I got back. But anyway, in that in that time, I, I uh, out of out of boot camp went to I went to Southeast Asia. I worked in the, I worked at Clark in the Philippines. We were in direct support of Vietnam. We were the so this was during Vietnam. During then? Vietnam, during Vietnam. Okay, that was in sixty seven to sixty eight. Um, was at Clark Air Base. From Clark Air Base, um, we, like I said, we supported the aircraft that uh, were in Vietnam, the 509 Fighter Wing. So we had aircraft in uh, three sites in Vietnam, two sites in Thai, and two sites in Thailand. During my time, I got to, my my first assignment though was being deployed to Korea when the Pueblo was taken. So, the way the military does that, they have a deployment that you don't really know much about it. You uh, a siren goes off, if you're the if you're the mobility guy, they. They, you show up with your tool bag, your, your tool, tool box, and your and your duffel bag, and they put you on an airplane and send you somewhere. You don't know where you're going. So we we didn't know anything about Korea at the time and in the Philippines. So, at any rate, siren uh, went off. I showed up, put us on a C-141. Had been in 80, 90 degree weather in the Philippines for nine for six months. Um, got off that airplane, it was like five degrees in, in and I was in Kimpo, Korea. So that was, that was in response to, the, to the, when the North Koreans took the Pueblo. Okay. We, were there for, we were there for four months um, until there was some certainty as to how, what the outcome of that was going to be because it was, it was a full military deployment into Korea. And, um, and we were fighting with the weather and our aircraft were breaking down because of the, because of the cold because they were used to being in hot weather. It was it was kind of a mess, but but um, after four months, they the edge was off, and they and they sent me back. From there, I went to uh, I went back to Clark Air Base for a month. Is that there, in the Philippines then? In the Clark, Philippines, Clark Air Base. Okay. Yes. Then they um, then after about a month, they deployed me to a site we had in Bangkok. We had a site site in Bangkok, Thailand, that we used to fly F-102s over the north, so they could check the weather to determine if it was safe for the B-52s to fly. We didn't have like Google Maps and weather maps and all that kind of stuff at the time, we had to send an aircraft up to actually check the weather and radio back whether it was safe to fly these aircraft. So that was our job. Launch those at 2 in the morning, and they would do their business, and then if, if it, everything was good, then the would go. So um, that was actually pretty good duty, though, because that was right in Bangkok. And, and um, at the, at the, the, it, was, it was actually the Nash international airport for Thailand at the time. So it was good do.
0: yeah, and how how long, um, okay, so so you were in the Philippines, then you were stationed in Korea, then you went to Thailand, you said, yeah. Or I should say Korea back to Philippines, then to Thailand. How long were you in Thailand for?
1: Uh, our rotations were around forty eight days. Forty eight
0: days? Okay. Roughly, yeah. Between that And then you would just go months. back to the Philippines. Like the Philippines, the f- base the Philippines. in the Philippines was the home base.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and, and while well, I was in, in, in Korea, they were having the Tet Offensive in nineteen sixty eight at Benoit Vietnam, which would have been another choice for me, but they but I wasn't allowed to go because I my training wasn't complete yet. So so at any rate, uh, but when I came back to the Philippines, uh, I was there about less than a month, and then I did rotate to Benoit and Vietnam. So I was in Vietnam for a little less than two months, and same thing, maintaining the injection systems on the aircraft there. and uh, uh, we were just another fighter squadron there, f- flying support for the ground troops, right? when I lo- always looked at it like I was at the top of the food chain, right It was like. Uh, I was on an airbase. I was protected. The army was maintaining the perimeter. But when the when the when the army would get dug in, guess what? They would have to call for air support. Air force would come in and take care of them. Um, and then and then um, if the planes got shot up, well then they had to use my ejection seat to get out and save themselves. So I always that's how I always got over it. It's kind of like it was amusing to me. So right.
0: so then uh, you actually never saw any combat then. You were just well, you were you maintained. You were more or less the one who maintained the the aircraft to make sure that everything was operational. Yes, Is yes, I didn't or carry a or... gun.
1: We had our M-16s were locked in a, in a steel cabinet yeah. called the Connex. We would take them out every month and and check the magazines and whatever. But we yeah. did not carry them. OK, um, but we ran an air base And because Tet had been hap- happened, it was such a big deal in in uh, January and February of 68 that they were still flying the, the Puff, the C-47s with the miniguns around our perimeter. We used to like to go watch that. Um, we would get 122-millimeter uh, rockets or mortars occasionally, just to let, just, they would, they would, they would you know, launch them into the base and uh, you'd, you'd run down to the bunker. You know, that we had that going on. I mean, we weren't, we weren't in the field, but that, that's what we had, and it was not often. Uh, but there was a time where uh, they did hit an am- uh, uh, an ammo dump actually at Benoit and, and lit lit the whole place up. It was a massive massive destruction. But so even though every day we didn't have contact, we were still there. Okay. All right. So then so then um, after that after that tour was over, I went back to the Philippines. I was there a month or two, and then they sent me back to Bangkok again. I was there another month or two, then back to the Philippines, and then from there um, rotated back to the states and went to Grand Forks, North Dakota, where I worked on B-52s that were loaded with nuclear weapons. So, so that was, and then after two years, that two more years, I was out and then back to the phone company. So that was, so in that, in that four years, you know, it, it kind of hardens you a little bit, kind of, kind of, um, kind of develops your level of risk tolerance that you can take and level of flexibility, living out of a bag for a year and a half and whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can't, so, I mean, I've personally never seen combat or never enlisted in the military myself, so I don't know exactly what that's like. Well, I mean, I know with today, it's, you know, it's obviously slightly different. You know, we have conflict in the Middle East and whatnot, but back then, you know, you had the mandatory draft, and then, of course, you had conflicts not only in Vietnam, then you had Korea. I, I, I'm, I'm not terribly good with my history, so I'm not sure how close those two conflicts well, were to one another, which what came first, and then... What came what came second between Vietnam and Korea? But I know it's the same area of the world.
1: Yeah, well, the original Korean conflict was in like in the mid 50s, right? Shortly after World War II, and that was never declared a war. And then what I was there for was just a little rogue incident. Oh, I see. Where the North Koreans seized one of our ships? They claimed it was a spy ship. That ship is still in North Korea. We never we never got it back. It's still there, but we did get the crew back. Okay. And, And we were sent there because there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know they they stole the ship. They had an American crew, and we didn't know if we were going to go to war or not. That was, that was the situation. So, so it's just, it just builds your tolerance to situations, I think, going through that. I mean, that's what it did for me. Is, and it, it lets you compartmentalize things in your mind, know what's important and what's not. Okay. knows when you should be angry and when you should not be angry. You know, uh, I've, I've coached my kids on that. I said, you know, you don't know the level of escalation you can go to with anger. So since you don't know that, don't even start. That's my, that's my advice on that. So I don't get angry and part of it's because of that. So and, uh, would you say you, you learned that from the military? I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, you know, um, also from the, I mean, the, the, the Korean thing, there was so much uncertainty that uh, there was not only, there was a guy that had been a few more years in and he, and he told me that during the original Korean war in the, in the fifties, what had happened is the North Koreans came over and they invaded um, at night. And there were like 13 Americans hanging in the hangar at the air base that I was at. I mean, that was the first the first thing. And more guys died in the original Korean conflict from from the from weather, from, from the environment, really than from battle wounds because it's a very harsh country, very harsh weather. So I learned that. And that's when, when, that, when I went to Vietnam, where I was in another kind. I didn't really overreact. If, it, if, for instance, if a round would come in, I knew to get my boots on, get my clothes on, then go down to the bunker. Because it was on, in my mind, I would say, it's unlikely that next round's gonna hit my barracks. If it doesn't hit my barracks, I'm fine. So take my time, go down there, prepare. So that's the way I approach everything. I don't, I don't get rattled by it. So, so, so that did that for me. So going to work, uh, went back to work, was, got, got married while I was still in the military. Um, went back to work at the phone company like I had planned. Um, was able got that that career that that job change I was anticipating, but then at some point I decided I wanted to be in the IT world. So um, the nice part of about working in, in a big cor- corporation, a lot of people don't have this advantage today, is that the the, con- the large companies like AT and T and Illinois Bell, it was the branch that I was in, they would they would let you train and promote from within so i went from being a high school graduate that went to uh that was in a a a craft job you know it was it was called a main main mainframe it was called where you connected basically the the old landlines from the phone in somebody's house to the wiring in the central office where they got switched that was my first job and then i did a lot of cable transfers where we converted certain several neighborhoods from dial tone dial pulse to touch tone did that job. I was because I was a little more mature when I got back out. So they, they were able to put me into jobs like that. And then very shortly after that, though, I decided I heard about the electronic switching going and decided to get into that. That was the first computer driven telephone swi- switch OK. And, and, then, and then that got me into this realizing I wanted to be in IT itself. So then my entire career after that was in IT. So so I spent uh, uh, 31 years in in Illinois Bell, left there went to combat for five years left left, those were like um director level jobs that i I got to in each one of those companies but then then um i went to the state of illinois as a chief information officer i worked there for three years but not initially not as an employee initially as a contractor um well rob boyavich was there and um I got to see when, well, what, what that show, showed me was, you know, I knew I knew I knew Rod's administration. I knew what they were doing. I had the highest IT job in, in the state at the time, and my job was to save money. So, um, so he, this is this is when you're working for Illinois Bell. This is, still, this is, I know, or? remember I said I I worked I worked 31 years at yep. Illinois Bell, then then I went to work five years at ComEd, then then uh, then I went to the, the state of Illinois. Okay, so you're working at the state of
0: Illinois now? Yes. When you have the, this, the highest, what you're talking that about was, right now,
1: the highest IT job? In, in the state of Illinois. The chief information officer is generally the highest. Um, the states have many chief information officers, but I was in the one that was in the governor's office that the other ones had to fold up to.
0: Okay.
1: So, so uh, and the goal there was, was, it was for a special initiative, that's why I was a contractor. Uh, the, the governor wanted to save $100 million because there was, there was a, a, chi- a children's program that a child health care program that he was trying to set, start up. And rather than do a tax increase, he was told by the consultants that that he had hired that he could probably raise this hundred million just by optimizing the IT department. And, and that was my specialty. So so I was brought in there and and we did it. We actually within within a year, a little over a year of reconfiguring things and consolidating agencies went into one agency within the state uh, we had reduced the cost to $130 million a year, and we put in a governance protocol that would allow them to um, um, to, to basically avoid bad decisions in IT. It was a, a protocol they had to go through. That that was their that 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 maintained years and years even after I left. So I'm very proud of that. But in that time frame, um, I'm also proud of the fact that we um, we saved that $130 million by. By breaking down a lot of bad deals as well. Plus, I got to experience all the lobbyists and political people that come in. We were we were a very much apolitical there. They didn't care what we were. We weren't Democrats, and never came up. And but well, we did the job. And um, but but the amount of interference from lobbyists and and businesses that come in trying to sell stuff. It, it's, it's, you can see how people get in trouble and how, and how bad deals happen within the state.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's not just a state thing. It, it you've got, yeah,
1: you've got lobbyists lot of national, All the government, government. And it's okay. because these people are not spending their own money. That's why. They are not spending their own money. They're spending taxpayers' money. Even if they don't have it, they're spending it because it gets them perks. It gets them, makes them important. It makes them feel like they have a little bit of power. And, and that's how they operate. Well, are you talking about politicians or the lobbyists? They're I'm talking about, well, you have, I'm talking about the, the, the the politicians that the lobbyists try to that that, that they lobby yeah. <laughs> that they try yeah. to win over. So so that was my taste of the of the the public sector. You know, okay. in private sector up to there, and I got to see this kind of silliness that was going on all the time. Although from the governor's office, we never got any interference. So so when a, when a a deal was, we realized it was a bad deal. Um, and we would put a target on it to to change it to one way or the other, either consolidate it or eliminate it, or or renegotiate it um, to to get get the cost down. Um, we never got any interference from interference from the governor's office, which which meant which to me meant that they were basically honest. That was basically because if they had been dishonest, we would have got a call saying basically, "Well, leave that one alone. We'll take care of it." Because they were still our boss. Never happened. Not once. So, so I'm very confident in the fact that what we did there had a lot of integrity. We never was never any political involvement. We saved the state $130 million a year. We put them on a better foot. But then I never planned to be in government. I mean, there were some things about it I really did not like. And um, so after we were confident, we took after three years, we decided that um, it was good. We could go. It was on its own legs. And. Um, then I went to work for another large, commun- large communications company, and I was their, their vice president of architecture and strategy. So I did that until I retired. What communications company? I'm sorry. Charter. Charter. OK, Charter communications. so this was after you worked for Illinois. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So that's my that's been my background. And um, it's given me a lot of exposure. I, I mean, I've 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 spoke. I mean, after I after I left the state, the, the work there was so remarkable that uh, I was even um, sponsored to go to, go to Australia to To talk to their people about how we did that, so so it was pretty pretty well pretty well done, pretty well received. Very proud of that. And
0: well, you should be. I mean, you know, I mean that's a pretty impressive uh, feat, saving the state 130 million dollars well, a year by going in and essentially restructuring how the uh, how that particular sector of the government was run.
1: Yeah, and and uh, but but I learned some things. I mean, I learned I learned like we had as we as we had these employees and we were. Um, we had, to train, we had to turn it back over to the career employees, right? Once we, once we got it where we wanted, we knew we were leaving, we did a, did a transition plan to get it back to the career employees. So we identified the ones we thought had the most integrity the were the most useful. As we got to know them, we asked things like, uh, well, why do you like this job? I mean, you could get, make more money going outside. And I'd get answers like, well, we get a little power. And, I, and it just hit me the wrong way. I said, power over who? You're, you're a public servant. Why do you think you have power? Mm-hmm. But, but that's the attitude they have. The other thing we ran into when we first walked in the door into the state, there's a there's a there's a, a cult within within government organizations. They call themselves the weebies, the weebies, weebies. Yeah, I'm not familiar. And um, so we asked, so what's a weebie? We don't know what that is. You know, we be here when you're gone, because they know that every time an administration comes in, they bring their cabinet as appointees. Right. And when so when when the elections, when the, when the term is over for that elected official, they um, all the appointees go away. So the, so the career employees know they can wait you out. But they can do what? Wait you out. Oh, okay. so that's what wait they mean. say. We be here when you're gone. I see. That's what we do. So those guys exist in every government organization, including the fed. So, so that's why there's so much inefficiency in the government. There's so much back scratching. There's so much re- resistance to actually getting things finished because they wanted to perpetuate. That's what I learned in three years in the government. Okay. So from there, um, at, at at Charter, uh, we we they were in bankruptcy when I went there because this was my strategy. My my specialty was to was to was to fix things. So we took them out of bankruptcy, and you know they just they re, they reissued their stock, and through great management on their part, they reissued that stock at thirty dollars a share. It's now over four hundred. So um, so that was a good, another good job, and I had retired. You know. After being there about ten years, after getting it where I wanted it, and they made a lot of progress since with a couple of mergers. So, so that's that's um, you know that's that's kind of my work history, and and so I, I think I've had a lot of exposure and a lot of experience in that because it was multiple companies, multiple types of organizations, public and private, and um, and even a little taste of the political. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but 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 one 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 takeaway from this from, from after the state when when um, when the government went after Begovic. I felt like that was like that was like what I read about in the Cold War as what the gulags would do when they found somebody what, what they would they, they, call, they call it. I call it a gulag mentality where if they de- didn't like what you were doing politically, they put you away. And and that's what and that's what I believe happened to. Uh, I, I believe he was he, you know, he, he went through the system. He was indicted. He, he but he was indicted twice. Okay. They prosecuted him the first time. It didn't stick. They changed a few words. It did stick and they put him away 15 years. They said that he was trying to get money. He wasn't getting money. I knew that I tell everybody this because because he was fundamentally honest when I was there and and um, he never interfered with anything he did to actually reduce cost and save the state money. So was the individual or the governor at the time. then. Yes, he was when uh, you did the restructuring. Yeah, yes, yeah. and he was but he was put away and that, and that let me believe how scary the government can be. And, and we're seeing a lot of that today. Well, why do you,
0: why do you think then that uh, Blagojevich was essentially the sacrificial lamb, so to speak,
1: in this scenario? Because likewise? the Democrat Party had, Rod, I believe, this is my opinion, I believe he had aspirations to be a presidential candidate. He was well-spoken, he's articulate, he was very presentable, you know, and, um, and you see he's got a strong heart because of the way he emerged from prison he emerged strong but he was in there for what 13 or 14 years who goes and and what they said is he was um, because he made a comment about about when the democrat party named barack obama as the presidential candidate he said i got to get something for that that's what they trapped him on the phone my my interpretation interpretation is that was he wanted another democrat in the senate so that he could maintain his political power. Blagovitch? Yeah, or, that's okay. what he meant by that comment. OK, but they, they, they kind of turned that comment to make people believe he was solic- soliciting money. I don't believe that simply because I know what his behavior was like when I was there. So 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 but I saw him go away for 14 years. Who goes away for 14 years? They don't even, they don't even go away for 14 years for murder in this country. But but he spent that time and he got pardoned by President Trump and he's out. So, um, so, so that's. But but seeing that injustice to me, it was unjust the way they did that because they took the same. They took basically the same offense and they repackaged it the second time that they went through the court, and um, that to me that that to me that, that could be interpreted as double jeopardy, prosecuting for the same crime. And so, because you're
0: saying that the two were almost identical. Yeah, they changed a few things, so it changed. wasn't exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was almost the same time. Yeah, so they just prosecuted. wanted
1: him out of the way. It was the Democrat Party put him away. That was okay. it, because it was interfering with their strategy. So, so, um, so anyway, that gets me to where I am, and um, um, you know, and 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 a lot of what's going on today, what's so annoying to me, as I mentioned first on that, you know, I lived in integrated neighborhoods my entire life. Um, so I didn't have to be bused and I didn't have to, I didn't, I didn't have to be told I had to sit with a black person. I always did. In fact, in fact, I know a couple famous ones. Um, Have you ever been to to Olive Park in Chicago? Olive Park. Have you ever been there? I've never been there. No. It's down by the, um, by the pumping station where the waterworks are in Navy Pier. That's named after Milton Olive. He was the first presidential medal of honor in Vietnam. Um, He was a classmate of mine when I was in grammar school. Uh, I just recently, uh, a, a good friend of mine passed away. He was, a, he was a Tuskegee Airman. So he was one of the original Tuskegee Airmen in World War II. Have you, have you heard about them at all, Tuskegee Airmen? Tuskegee Airmen. It sounds familiar, but I don't know well, the Okay. or details. It was part of the Army at the time, combat squadron, that was used to protect bombers as they went over Europe. And their, their legacy is that they never lost a bomber. They were, they were that good of an a escort, escort squadron to protect these bombers. So they're, they're pretty famous. And, and President Bush, actually, I think he's the one that finally acknowledged them officially and uh, brought them to Washington, D.C. Now, there, there were several, there were several um, acknowledgments of them after that. But prior to that, nobody knew much about them. But I knew him because Jack was my buddy at the Yacht Club. And when he passed away, he was in his 90s and he still would sail his boat in Lake Michigan solo that's the kind of integrity he had that's the kind of wherewithal he had and and he was my friend so so i've had these great friends that that you know um were like yeah. and so so i don't you know i i think everybody as an individual i don't but you know i also have to acknowledge that my neighborhood in chicago my my original house is still standing at 57th and loomis it's one of a handful of houses that's still standing on 57th and Loomis because they've all been burned down. They've all been burned down because of the the shift in the population that occurred basically during the 60s. In the in in the mid 60s, they changed the welfare residency law in the state of Illinois that allowed anybody that could get an address in the state of Illinois to get a welfare check. That drew thousands of people from the south. They were called freedom buses. I'm sorry, Freedom what? Freedom Buses, Freedom Buses, because they came in buses OK, from the south to get into Illinois to get a check. Now, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, uh, try to qualify their state of destitution or why they did that or whatever. But I mean, it's an opportunity. Uh, I, so they came here and and through uh, through, you know, and, and most weren't prepared really to live in the city of Chicago. And they're kind of disruptive. But then the, then the government came out with the Federal Housing Authority and, and was issuing FHA loans. And eventually it got to the point where people that, that didn't have the financial means to own a home were, were being allowed to purchase a home. And, and then in most cases it didn't, it didn't end well. And that, and that re- resulted in a ton of homes being purchased by unqualified people and, and foreclosures and neighborhoods destroyed. That's what happened to the south side of Chicago. This is in the 2000s? This, this, was or, in, this was in the '60s. Oh, this was in the '60s. Okay. This was in the '60s. And okay. This was what called. This is what caused what, what Michelle Obama likes to make a joke about, white flight, right? Which is mean because as people vacated because their neighborhood was getting dangerous for them. Guess why? I mean, I mean, it was becoming. It was becoming. It wasn't. It wasn't because people really were offended by blacks. It was just they didn't like their house getting broken into. They they didn't like their house getting broken into and their kids being intimidated at school. And and, you know, I lived there until I went in the military. So I lived through that whole transition and I got to see what happened. My, My brothers would comment to me that that it was safer for me in Vietnam than it was in the neighborhood at that point in the 1960s. That's what led people to white people to leave the city and move to the suburbs. That's what grew all the suburbs around Chicago. And and, so, and that's what ate away at the core of the city. That's why Englewood is not the Englewood I grew up in. It was because, it was because government causes market distortions by interjecting money into places where either the people aren't mature enough to handle the money mm-hmm. or responsible enough, or the theft that goes on by opportunists that decide how they can use that money to engorge themselves. For instance, it was really not the fault. It was not, it was not really the fault of the of of the blacks and the low income whites that were moved into those houses it wasn't their fault because they they saw an opportunity they thought they're entitled to it they they took advantage of it but they couldn't sustain it because they weren't qualified they didn't have the training they didn't have the income to sustain the payment basically with the fha loan they'd say you know 200 bucks you can buy this house you know and no down payment and and most of them defaulted and that's why the properties went went into foreclosure but it was actually the, it was the establishment, the white realtors that were m- making all those deals, taking advantage of the federal housing authority to put money in the hands of people that were just going to destroy the neighborhood.
0: You no, know, what's really interesting about this is I had no idea that that happened in the 60s, but I know that it did happen in the 2000s. Oh, uh, well, it continues was, to happen. Yeah, the, so you, you have people, you know, what, what's really interesting is, you know, whether or not you find yourself more conservative or more liberal, Democrat, Republican, is I've observed that human beings are, unfortunately, the, you know, we have low integrity in individuals in all aspects of life. And it seems like whatever system that we right. design, uh-huh. people are going to take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is un- And that all that you can do is to try and minimize, like so, say the idea is really good, it sounds good on paper, and you can't really think of any reason to not do it. And then in implementation, people start taking advantage of it, which is to be expected, and you probably planned for this. But then you try to uh, just minimize it, right? You can never really get rid of it. It seems like.
1: Well, you know, one of the one of the actions that was taken to try to, to try to mitigate it was a lot of churches in the area would 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 would, would have these um, um, sessions where they would where they would invite people in that were thinking about buying a house in the neighborhood, and they would. Tutor them basically in the in the you know trials and tribulations of homeownership like you know you gotta yeah you gotta make your payments you gotta make your utility payments your roof leaks you gotta fix it you know there's all kinds of th- all kinds of things that come up when you own property and and people that are just like well I'm here I'm gonna go to give me a house and they're just happy to move happy to move in they don't understand the responsibility of are taking on yeah that's what that's what the issue was and and so we um, so a lot of the churches and that were setting up these, these these um sessions where people could come in and they could they could give them a session and say, look, if you're gonna buy this house, all right, you know, we don't we don't care if you come here, but understand this, this is what you gotta do. You gotta cut the grass, you gotta paint the house, you gotta take care of the house. And the, the number of applications went way down because, well, once that once once that was made, you know, made made obvious, uh, you know, they didn't have so many people applying. So so that tells me that. It was really the oversell by the realtors that were just trying to go ahead and negotiate the loan because guess what? The person's gonna pay their $200, get their down payment. The Fed is gonna back the loan. The person is gonna get in there. They'll live there about a year. They'll, they'll uh, the, the bank will foreclose on the property. The Fed will lose all the money, all the, the Fed the Fed's gonna guarantee the loan back to the bank. So the bank gets their money back, right? But guess what the taxpayer pays? Because, because a taxpayer underwrote all that because it was a federal program. And so the, 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 the people that were buying those homes were just useful tools, really, for those.
0: Yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's exactly what happened in the 2000s as well, when you have the initiative to get more people into homes. And uh, my cousin was a realtor at the time making great money. And his boss was like, just bring me paper. So he was writing a ton of mortgages for people that he knew would never be able to repay it and making just gobs of money doing it. And then, of course, you know, this leads to so 2008. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not justifying his behavior, and I'm not certainly justifying the behavior of the uh, realtors that engaged in this behavior in the
1: 60s, uh, but it is unfortunate. So you've seen it. And, and so guess what? Where did that money come from then? That the government over- underwrote those loans with, it came from the taxpayer, and and so that's the problem. The problem is when the government comes up with all these, makes all these promises, and um, promise you anything. I mean, uh, the, it, it's kind of funny. When when we were little kids, and, I've, and so I've given you my whole history, so I can go back to now, when we were little kids, my my one of my best friends, and this kid, we were friends till high school. We were probably ten years old, and because of what we knew about. Communism, because we heard it every day. You know, we still did air raid in the like we were little kids, uh, ten years old. The siren grew off, we jump under our desk, because that's what they learned in World War II. That's what in Europe. That's what happened when they start bombing. The ceilings were going to come in. So, so they we were training kids my age when we were in school. Siren goes off, you jump under the desk. That was that was common. So, so um, with with um, kind of lost my train of thought on that.
0: Well, you're talking about communism. You're talking yeah, about like, yeah. government overreach,
1: yeah, yeah, or yeah, some, yeah. Perhaps something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, Oh, God. Let me let me let me come, let me let me get, let me get back. I, yeah, I, sure, no worries. Because uh, it, it was. Um, oh yeah. yeah. So anyway, so so my, my my so we were aware of this. And my, my my little friend Rich, he was my best friend. He would quote. I remember him. Clear as day. Communism. Promise him anything. Give him nothing. We're ten years old saying that. We knew it. We knew it. And when I, when I was at the state of Illinois, I, I mean, I saw all these programs that kept being introduced. The worst programs, um, in, in our opinion, when we were there were the human services programs because, because they were, everything was, every time they wanted a bad, every time a program would come in to, uh, to our governance system, which, was, which meant when you, wanted to, when you wanted to create a new uh, computer system, you had to come in and, and basically justify it and say, all right, what, what, what is it gonna do? What's the benefit? What's the cost? What's the schedule? We had it. We had that. That was part of our governance protocol to try to eliminate eliminate problems. So um, it was always one of three things they'd say: children will die, old people won't put their checks, or officers will be killed. If we don't do this program, that's what it's going to be. And and we and finally we heard that so many times. Finally, I started saying, you know what? Until you can tell me their name, I'm not going to worry about it because this is just this is just. Um, it's kind of what they've been doing doing um, doing recently on the, on the news they're always they always it's always a nameless victim that they want that they want to bring up you know and speaking in platitudes and ambiguity they're never concise yeah, it's yeah. always it's always to pull that heartstring, right Well
0: yeah the, new, the news these days is you know 10 second 10, 10 second sound bites and it's just anything to really really listen in an emotional response out of the audience to get you captivated by that. And like you said, tug on the heartstrings. Yeah, it's really directed straight toward your emotional center. And uh, it's mostly fear, fear-based in my opinion. And I, I have a hard time with the news these days in general. And I see that coming from both the
1: conservative and liberal news, uh, news outlets. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and I attribute, you know, and, and I attribute my attitude toward it, you know, again, again, kind of to the military, being able to separate concerns and understand what's really important, what's not important, what's going to kill you, what's not going to kill you. That it, it's very it's black and white to me to make those decisions. And and so so when I see the nonsense on the news, you know, it you know, I just have to look at it and say, wow, I can't believe people believe this stuff. You know, I just I just, you know, but I, what I have learned that when I when I've told a person I had a, a friend of mine as a co-worker, actually, he's was in Indian, he was from India. And, and he knew I was a Vietnam vet. And he said, so, so tell me, why were you guys there anyway? I said, you know, honestly, I can't tell you. All I can say was my duty to go because my government told me to go. Um, but, um, but if you ask me today, uh, with what I know today, should, should I have been there? And I say, you know, probably, probably not. Because when, when I was a member, it was started by Kennedy, and then it was escalated by LBJ, two Democrats. And, and it was known that LBJ was making a ton of money. His yeah. family was making a ton of money off his investments and whatever was going on during that war.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I think a similar ar- argument can be made about what happened with uh, in Iraq when Bush became president. Yes. Yeah, that there are people in government who are, well, low integrity. Yeah. That's something and that. I think that you would see that in either party, unfortunately. Yes. And that right. it's just the public's responsibility to essentially call them out on it, to hold um, them responsible for their low integrity moves, actions,
1: uh, and it shouldn't be tolerated. Well, if they're criminal, really, because if yeah. they were in the private sector, that would be called insider trading. <laughs> Actually, to pass a law or to create a situation that's going to cause the need in the market, and then to buy the stock before before that is expo- before that's made public, yep, and then let that stock boom, right? A lot of them did that in this, in this Corona thing with the PPE, a lot of them, some of them even stepped down as a result of it. They sure did. And, and so, so this has been going on and and there's no reason that, I mean, the only reason Congress isn't held at that standard is because they write the laws. They won't write that law for themselves about insider trading. That's absolutely insider trading and shouldn't be permitted. So, um, you know, how does, how does, um, how does Barack Obama? He was a 90, he was a ninety-thousand-dollar-a-year street organizer when he became an Illinois senator. Right? He did—he did part of term as a senator. Well, he was well when they made when he became a senator. His wife was working at University of Chicago. Did you know that? I mean, she had I le- did not. She had a legit job. She a legit job. She was working at the University of Chicago. And she actually came up with a program that was, that was pretty good. She was making about 130,000, I think, something like that. I mean, she had a decent job at the University of Chicago. Um, she came up with a program that would take people that were coming into the University of Chicago emergency room and bust them out of there into some ghetto clinics. Into some what clinics? Ghetto clinics, oh. some, some in the associated neighborhood, like some, um, because they wanted them out of the they wanted them out of the University of Chicago waiting room. Um, so you're talking about the hospital? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in the emergency room. In the emergency and, room. And the state, it's, and, and it was the right thing to do, really. It, but but it's almost it's almost like um, it, it's almost it's almost what somebody that was you look at it and yeah. you say why would you why would you why would you bust them out of the University of Chicago where they're going to get the best service into some substandard place? Why? Because the University of Chicago had to save money. I mean they couldn't afford all these people coming in with a toothache into the emergency room. So they so they would they would queue them up and that was one of that, I guess that was one of her programs. This is what I what I've heard. And so that but, was to save money then?
0: Oh save the, money University from the University of Chicago of Chicago. Okay. Yeah, to make
1: it more efficient. So so I agree yeah. with that.
0: Yeah you can't but, overwhelm you can't overwhelm the healthcare system with two hikes. But,
1: but after but, but the emergency room. So I don't know, but but, but shortly after um, after, after um, Brock was, was 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 made a congressman in first state of Illinois, her salary went up over three hundred thousand dollars a year. So it was just a connection it was a political connection. so we, so we got this king. we, we made him We, a we street organizer we made him we made him a senator um, in the state of Illinois, speaks well, presents well. he's our next presidential candidate right because he' never finished his term as a senator right before they had him as a presidential candidate. He'd never had any experience. Her salary goes up 300 because now they're making him wealthy so they could fit into the profile. Remember, remember the, the, the Resco, Tony Resco got involved buying, for, with with them buying their property in Bridgeport. They bought it, they had a big home, we're well, not Bridgeport, I'm sorry. And um, it's not Bridgeport, yeah, I guess it is Bridgeport.
0: So, I, I mean, I just want to circle back. So are you, I mean, I, I you see this all the time. It's not just what, what right. happened with the Obama's right, right, right. where you have people who right. then move into the private sector, yeah, or excuse me, the public sector into some sort of, higher up position and then all of a sudden they're making a lot of money. And of course that's being funded by the taxpayer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it, but it's, um, it's part of making a king. I mean, if he wasn't yeah. making good money, then he couldn't be a presidential candidate. So that was, that was part of it. So it's all creating, creating this, this person, right? This, yeah. So, um, so when you see the, when you, when, you know, when, when you see these things, of course you have to be, um, disgusted by it in a lot of ways. I mean, um, it, it it's, it's taxpayer money, uh, it's, it's, it's misrepresentation of, of what, what the funds are going to be used for, and, and, um, and then when they get in, of course, they owe everybody. They owe everybody. So because this 90, this guy, this $90,000-year guy now is worth over $40 million, him and his wife.
0: And, yeah, and they, made a, they made a lot of money. I've, I mean,
1: we can I'm have, not going
0: to sit here and I, w- I won't justify the behavior but it is a systemic problem that you see this all the time. And yeah. it's regardless of Democrats or Republicans, where you have people going into government and then all of a sudden they're worth a significantly large sum more than they were before they, before they went in. And of course, you know, their salary increases. So for example, I think when you become president, I think you make like 400 or $450,000 a year. That's a good chunk of change. Uh, so, you know, just taking that and I don't know what expenses you have while you are president of the United States, because I, I don't think you have to actually have to pay to live in the White House. I don't know if you have to pay for your food and things of that nature. So I think there's all these, you know, ancillary parks that come along with it. So you're essentially putting the, all of this money into you, your bank. And then, you know, like you said, too, though, the connections that you're making for a long time, you have politicians inside trading, uh, also another trend too is that like if you want to be a CEO of a large corporation the best place to go is to go and work in Washington DC and make the connections because that's that those are the people that you need to know if you You're want government to. Contract. Yeah. Yeah, you have to uh, I mean I wouldn't say it's solely a government contract but a lar- a lot of the large corporations you know of course I mean I think it's fair to say and give me your opinion uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this that the government along with the private sector that there's a lot of intertwining these days you know particularly with yeah with the lobbyists and all of that so too much. that we have you know the the public sector the government is supposed to be looking out for the best interest of the public and then the private sector's role is to provide goods and services and the sole reason that a corporation exists is to maximize profits essentially to provide a good and service, maximize profits, and then the government has to make sure that that corporation is essentially not hurting people and staying within the the bounds of reason, so to speak. That's why we have regulations and things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, what I, and what I always stress with my own kids and anybody I have this discussion with, you know, corporations. You know, basically, I have to, I have I have words for corporations as well. <laughs> you know. Uh, I can say it, playgrounds for a-holes. I mean, I mean, I mean, it can be that, right? I mean, and, and um, but you know what? I say, that's fine. It's up to the shareholders and the board to manage that. You know, if they see that going on because the, the, their shareholder is the one whose money they're wasting or putting in jeopardy. So if you've got a clown running an organization, then he's putting their, their investment at risk. He needs to be managed by, by his managers, but the government's different. The government just reaches in your wallet, takes your money, regardless and you you don't have much to say about it and they do with it what they want
0: well I mean I think we do have something to say and uh, that is with our right to vote so the way that I look at it is that at the end of the end of the day the public it's the public's responsibility to hold both the private sector along with the along with the government accountable so you vote with your dollar so if you don't agree with a private corporation's business practices, you don't like how you don't like their product that they offer, you don't like the fact that they exploit child labor in a third world country or that they overly pollute the environment, then you stay away from their product and you vote with your dollar. Yeah. If you don't like what a, a, a government politician is doing, then you don't vote for them at the ballot box. Uh, so I think that. I think that there is still some power, that, 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 that the government doesn't have unlimited power, that there is something still that the, the public can do, and that's to exercise your right to vote.
1: Right. But I mean, the, the issue I think we have is that um, it takes a lot of energy to keep an eye on what the government's doing. I mean, they're running at such a pace these days that, that you can't, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. And so you pick an area that you're interested in, I guess. But um, again, it's when you get into when you get into um, taxing and, and and public funds, though, where there needs to be a lot more a lot more governance, a lot more oversight, you know. Yes. And and then and then you know, I I, I look at um, for instance, um, they now con- Congress has been after Trump for his taxes for how long, right? Well. You know, my answer to that is, you know, you got a whole bureau called the IRS. If they didn't catch him, what are you going to do? I mean, why why are you going to dig into it? I mean, if they if they let them get away with it, then you go talk to them, you yeah. know, because because they're the one that's supposed to be watching all these guys to see if and they got and they got a big army there of people that are that are there. And they are a big pain in the ass to most people. But but. You know, it's not up to Congress to be digging into that stuff because it's political political food for them. I mean, it's it's like if you don't like what happened, then talk to the IRS. Find out what happened. You know, these, these agencies have to be accountable for the job that they're supposed to do. You know, and the fact that they get immunity, they're they're, they're entitled to such a level of immunity when there's um, um, when there's a mistake made. Like the EPA a couple of years ago, I I forgot the name, the details of it, but they were mining somewhere and they and they polluted a, a huge. A river, in, in, um, in I think it was in Colorado somewhere. They just caused this huge landslide because they were doing something stupid. Nobody got nobody went to jail for that. Nobody got fined for that. EPA do what they want. You know? So there was no accountability, none. Okay, none.
0: I'm not familiar with the situation, so I don't know how it, yeah, well, how it all played out. out. But room yeah, room. I mean, of course to not hold at least a few individuals accountable with some sort of rep- reprimand of some variety. I, I mean, I don't again, I don't know the details. Yeah, well, but, I mean, then there yeah. would probably
1: be some fall guy because that's the way it would work. It wouldn't yeah. be the, you know, wouldn't be the one that told him to go do that. Yeah. You,
0: know? you know, I'm super I'm super curious, though, If we we'll circle circle, uh, circle back to President sure. Trump and his tax returns. Okay, you bet. So I know that he ran his campaign on saying that he'd be happy to release his tax returns. And then that was something that he never did. Now, is that at all concerning to you? I know you just made the comment that, you know, it's political fodder, essentially, for Congress to go after it, but do you think that it's somewhat suspicious that the president ran his campaign on saying, hey, you can look at my taxes public, it's fine, and then he never did it? And above and beyond that, even when you have certain members within Congress, then so de- the Democrats going after his tax returns to release them to the public, uh, actively fighting them. Like hiring his, his suite of lawyers and things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, like I said, I think it, it's, it's political theater. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not interested in it. I'll tell you why. Okay. It's. 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 it's number one. If if, if yeah. the IRS put it this way, if if I looked at these tax before tax tax records or tax tax returns, I doubt I'd be able to interpret it. It's very complicated. I'm sure there's a lawyer. Uh, there's an army of accountants that with all his properties and all his interests that are that are that um, that even submit those in the first place. And I don't know if you've ever been audited, but I've been audited once or twice and you call the IRS for an opinion and they will not give you a definitive opinion about if this is right or it's wrong. So some, this is quite subjective. This kind of goes back to the laws that are made. What they call laws, they're not laws, I mean they're rules. You know, the only laws that exist are really God's laws, physics, those are the only laws. I mean, hot air will rise for everybody, water will run hot downhill for everybody. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. You yeah, know?
0: yeah. The, the, the laws that we operate with, you know, speed limits, things like laws. that. That's some, Well, that's something that, they, they are fictions, right? They yeah. are something that human beings have created in order to yeah. create a more uh, civil society, create order, things of that nature. And, you know, a similar thing exists for our currency, or why is it that? You know gold is as valuable as it is or silver is and it's because it's a precious resource but then something for example like when we moved away from those those hard elemental standards for money into fiat currency which is that you know we just kind of all agree like if I were to take twenty dollars out of my my bill I mean it's intrinsic value is that it's really just paper that I could burn for five seconds right it, I mean I can't eat it I could probably use that right. as you know, fire starter or something like that. Yeah. But it has value in the marketplace just because you and I agree on it. So that's just a fiction, essentially, that right. you and I kind of bond over. Uh, you know, you can make the same argument for religion as well. However, when it comes to uh, when it comes to like laws, like you said, the, the the legal infrastructure of like this country and other countries and whatnot, that is just something that you know people have argued over for for decades and. Maybe hundreds of years and said, OK, well, in order to make society better, this is we should do
1: this. And then, well, this is why you need fewer. You need fewer rules that apply to everybody. That's what you need. And, and so since since they have, they're not capable. And, and in fact, there's even I, I, and I don't know where this is written, but and, and, and it should be written in a manner that anybody can any average person can interpret it. So you don't need a lawyer to interpret it for you, that, that's the goal. So, but they're, they're written deliberately complex, um, you know, like Affordable Care Act was deliberately complex um, just so that it takes that um, capability away. That, so it can, be, it can be left for interpretation later, there's never, it's never anything definitive about it. So it's really not a law. It's just yeah, a but, I mean, we do have um, so, for example, you, you were
0: talking about the Affordable Care Act. So that particular bill was very long and complex. I categorically agree with you on that. Absolutely. But then don't you have lawyers who, you know, on both sides
1: who are analyzing it and trying to communicate it to the public? But that's but you see, you see, I, I, I I'm not a fan of lawyers. I mean, <laughs> OK, you know, I'm just not, you know, so. So, um, so, you know, to me, if you didn't have one, you wouldn't need any. True.
0: Yeah, but I mean, as society has gotten increasingly more complex though, I mean, we have certain members of society who become experts in certain domains in order to help us function because, I mean, you can't know everything in today's world, right? I mean, it is just way too complex, at least on a deep level. So that's why we have the expert. And I know that there is a certain vulnerability that comes along with admitting that you cannot know everything and then having to rely on an expert in that domain because you are not that person, right? I think everyone really appreciates like their own personal autonomy, like not having to, I guess, give away their, what they know um, or or, or admit their personal limitations, I should say. Uh, But in, again, in an increasingly complex, society that we live in today the expert i think still has value and the reason that they
1: exist is just because of the fact that we there's just so much to know well they have value until they don't when you disagree with their opinion then you find another expert and then you find another expert that that's what it comes down to so it is useful to 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 try to be responsible for the decisions you make you know and i mean what if you hire that expert and they and they give you bad advice and you and you uh well, if you have somebody, hire somebody to do some work on your house and they do a bad job. Yeah.
0: No, no, I agree. I mean, I mean, all experts are not made the same, right? There's no, yeah. there's no sort of yeah. carbon copy. Everyone's but, a unique but individual. See, this is an American various... trait
1: though. Is, is, What's that? Is, 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 this is part of an American <clears throat> trait of individualism and independence. Okay. See, that, it is really. And, and it's the only place in the world where that, where that exists, you know, it was meant to exist anyway. And more and more, your, your, your ability to be that way is being taken away. By, the, by, by constraints put on you, by rules and whatever that the government puts in place. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, obviously, you know, being an individual, right? And I think everyone values being an individual and, you know, going about their day making decisions for themselves, which they, they think are the best decisions for themselves. But we also, I think it's important to admit that we live in a society that is becoming increasingly more connected. And that, you know, what may be good for me may actually not be like the best decision for everyone, like long-term or something of that nature. So for example, let's say, let's take the, let's take global warming, okay? So global warming is a, has been, uh, verified by the scientific community. So there's like 97, 98% agreement within the scientific community. They form something known as a scientific consensus, which is that throughout the decades, all of this research was done and all of the evidence points to this singular conclusion that humans are exacerbating the, the warming of the planet. Okay, let's, I don't know if you acknowledge that or not, but we don't have to go into that. Let's just say you do, okay, for, for, time, for right now. So let's say you acknowledge that. And I'm talking about the, the collective, the collective so, behavior again. So if you acknowledge that, then that means that as an individual, there are certain things perhaps that you should be doing in order to benefit the
1: entire planet moving forward. So, so let me ask you about that though. Let me ask you about science. Sure, I'd be happy do to you answer, know, do you yeah. Know, do you know what the scientific method is? I do, yeah. What would you say?
0: Um, so it is a process of hypothesizing, and mm-hmm. then you formulate your, uh, you, or first, first you, you, you make an observation, then you hypothesize, which is essentially, uh, I know I hate to phrase it as an educated guess, but it is the, the guess or the question that you put forward that you'd like to answer based off of all of your available evidence or experience, I should say. Uh, and then you go forward and you formulate an experiment, and then you test it,
1: and you see, what comes out the other end? Every day, the science is this, and the science is that. These politicians, you know, science to me is, is all about. It, it, it is like you said, it's hypothesis, experimentation, evaluation of results, and and, and then at some point, you're always trying to break your break your proof. You're always trying to find an exception to that, because because you know you, you might because you, you don't know if you know what you don't you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So so there's always, so, so that's, you know, so, but what they're, what they're uh, claiming is definitive science. I don't agree with much of it. Um, I, there's been quite a lot of fraud. I mean, in terms of that's been called out on, on the papers that have been written, the positions that have been taken, but guess what? Because it's, it's a business. There's a lot of government money there. There's another government distortion created by it because a lot of money and here come, here come the, you know, yeah. here come the people get that money you know that's what it's all about
0: no I, I mean I agree that science is not a perfect enterprise that like any other aspect of human society you are always going to have people looking to get ahead by low integrity means however that being said, I mean it's not just government money. Money you have the nonprofit sector. You also have the private sector that's very interested in investing money into fundamental research as well. Well, they're willing I,
1: to. But the private sector is willing to invest. If they, you know what, they, you know they can do that. I mean, I mean, Elon Musk, he can do that. He can, he he can do it. He's 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 spending his money, he can do what he wants with his, with his with his cars and his batteries and all that kind of stuff, and he's making a lot of progress. But you know, it's his money, and. And he'll be rewarded for it. And he is being rewarded for it, if it all works out. But, um, but when they take your tax dollar money, tax tax mm-hmm. dollars, they go into a level of uncertainty. I mean, how much risk are they? Should they be taking with our money? I mean, look look at the Solyndra deal. That
0: yes, uh, no. I so you know, that I, is certainly an area for individuals to debate over. Is how to judiciously. judiciously Take the taxpayers' money and use it towards science. However, I mean, I, I think that, I think there have been studies done. Okay, so don't don't quote me on this, and I I don't, I would have to look more into this. But you know, if you look at the returns just from NASA alone, the fundamental research and the amazing technologies that have come from NASA is a government organization, so that's all mm-hmm. taxpayer funded. You look at what that has done for society and the technologies that have come out of that and trickled into the private sector, and then the private sector then is incorporating that and making money off of it. I mean, I think there's a very strong argument to be made for government investing into science. Now, where exactly do you draw that line? I mean, that is, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. But I do certainly support the government going out and spending taxpayer money on science. Uh, because I have seen the returns to society from that. And, I mean, I know that science is a complicated process. It's very difficult. It takes many years of training in order to become a scientist. But if you look at all the incredible technologies that we have today, it is a result of the scientific method. Uh, The, you know, the microphone that's recording, recording the sound here, the cameras that are picking it up, I mean, that all started with fundamental research. So some individual or groups of individuals getting together and saying, we just are curious about the universe, let's see what we can find out. And then at some point, the results of that science were taken, and then you create, and then it was used by engineers to make wonderful technologies to improve our lives. I mean, if you look at the advances in human civilization since the onset of the uh, like scientific enlightenment,
1: it, it, it's it's remarkable. It's I, absolutely. Remarkable. I, I don't disagree with that. It's just that you need to somehow it needs to be bound to a point where you say you know because you know when I when I worked at the state you know we started saying um, because we were we were cut, we were reducing costs right we, we started saying do more with less do more with less that's yeah. easy to roll off your mouth but, but the more the more we the more we got to know the state we say no nope, it should be do less with less. The government's role is not to expand into everything of our private life. It's just not the government's role. Now, I agree that the space program was was amazing, and I and I believe there's some things, some percentage of maybe the tax base that should be used for that sort of development. But I don't believe that the same thing has happened with with um, the the green the green strategies that are out there right now. Uh, I know, for instance, the the whole um, the whole, the whole strategy around diesel engines is a fraud right No, I know that for sure. Around the diesel engine? Oh, yeah, it's a fraud. I mean, the, 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 the current pollution devices that are required on the diesel engines are are, are, kind of, are kind of a Rube Goldberg situation, right? I mean, yeah, it's a fossil fuel engine, right? We learned a while ago that with gasoline engines, you, you could put a... When, you, when, when the exhaust gets to be a certain temperature, it makes a lot of nitric oxide um waste product and they and so they've, they've they've identified that as some problem in the in the environment okay so they've been putting catalytic converters on on, on, on gas cars for gas vehicles for years right and all right it, they got rid of the nitric oxides right so so they they went after the diesel engines and they put a, they tried to put a uh well, that what they did that with the egr right they do that with egr by cutting down the Cutting down the basically the efficiency of the engine, right? It, it takes exhaust gas which has got no oxygen left in it, routes that into the intake stream, so it it cuts down the temperature that 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 gets created in your in your combustion chamber. In other words, the power of your combustion, so the power of the engine. So you're burning more fuel to get less power, but that cooler exhaust can be it makes less makes less nitric oxide with the catalytic converter. The catalytic converter. So so the the, they, they, went, they did the same thing, they tried to do the same thing with the diesel engine, they tried to put an EGR on it. And when, the, when you cool down the temperature of the diesel engine, basically got more soot. Okay. So, so, they, so they cooled down the engine, they got more soot. So then they, they created, oh, we need this particle filter to grab that, so they created a diesel particulate filter. Now, now that won't run more than a few hundred miles before it fills up with soot. So they had to come with a regen procedure. They came up with a regen procedure. They dumped raw diesel fuel into the diesel exhaust certain times, you know, certain period while you're driving, brings the exhaust temperature up to 1,200 degrees, and cooks the stuff out of the catalytic converter. Sorry, out of the DPF, right? And then guess what? Guess what? Now the catalytic converter was so high. Sorry, the the DPF was so hot it was creating nitric oxides again, the very thing you tried to eliminate by putting the EGR on it in the first place. So then they had select, select a selective catalytic converter behind that. So, so had they just put the catalytic converter on it in the first place, they probably wouldn't needed any of it. But they'll never go back.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard anything about that.
1: Uh, I definitely will look. More into the that. Trucking though, companies are it. dying. So. I mean, the amount of time that these trucks are are uh, off the road for maintenance and for regens, it's, it's, it's substantial. I mean, a couple of my kids are in the trucking industry and I know this for sure. Yeah. you know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, an, it sounds inefficient, what you're describing, but I don't really have the background yeah. plus to really analyze Plus I own the, a couple
1: of these legends, you know, so yeah. I, I know firsthand. Yeah.
0: Uh, anyway, I'm just okay. So I, I'm really curious. Then, so based off of everything that we're saying, are you satisfied with the current
1: trajectory of the country then, as a whole? No, no, no. Um, I, I don't believe in these riots in the street. I mean, this this anarchy should have been should have been stopped immediately. The minute the minute a fire lights up is not a demonstration anymore. The minute a fire lights, it's a riot. You do not get to destroy other people's property. You just do not. And and i I'm I'm, uh, I'm disgusted at the amount of. Of that, that's been allowed to go on, and you know, and and that, that business that happened in Kenosha, um, where that guy had his AR with him. Now, I've all, I've been waiting for this. I I've I've, I knew this would happen because of the biggest responsibility with having a gun is knowing when not to shoot. That's the biggest responsibility, and and you can see that in the professionalism, like the best the best examples when the Navy SEALs went for Bin Laden. They went through his whole complex, and they didn't kill anybody they didn't need to kill. They they they, they, they going into dark rooms, dark hallways, whatever. They're professionals. They know they're precisely what they're doing. Yeah, they they, could, they 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 don't waste a bullet. Acquire that target yeah. and not shoot the wrong person. Yeah. and that's what they did. This um, um this, this 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 so so the biggest response is no, not, not not to shoot. So so everybody everybody you know that claims they're they're the Second Amendment, I do as well. But the, you, you cannot forget that is that is there to protect you from the government. Now, it's not like any individual could take on the U.S. Army, but when you get activity like the looting that's going on, rioting that's going on, where they're burning people's property and the government is sanctioning it by not suppressing it, you, that is essentially the government's action and the government's essentially responsible for that, for allowing it to happen. you almost, that's almost your Second, am- second Amendment duty to take that out, and that's the way that kid envisioned it. In in that that went up, the one that got caught in Kenosha with yeah. his gun, um, and he was attacked. I don't know if you saw if you saw what um, what actually transpired. That that guy had he had a he had the he had the gun. He also had a first aid kit, and he was called there because he had family members that had a business in the town, and they asked and they wanted help because their places were being burned down. So he went up and open carry is legal in Wisconsin, so they were okay with that. I don't know about whether he was at 17 if he was if he was legal to carry that. I don't know. But he had it. And uh, what what initially happened was they had a dumpster on fire and they were trying to roll it towards some gas pumps to start a gas station on fire. He ran up. He got he picked up fire fire extinguishers from somewhere and, and put the dumpster out, and pissed them off. So that's when they came after him. That's when he shot one of them and it, it went downhill from there. But. He wasn't there initially to go shoot people and didn't think he'd have to defend himself, but in case he did, he had it. And But but to me, when the government allows that kind of activity to go on, local government, it's still the government, they allow that to happen. They're allowing people's property, they're depriving their citizens of the use of their property. They're not using the police forces that the citizen is paying for to protect the property. That means they're complicit in it. And And so at that point, it's almost like that's your second amendment obligation and right to defend yourself, because that's almost an extension of the government because it's not being, it's not being taken care of in the way that it's supposed to. So, so but we're at, we're at a flash point right now where only so much, you're starting to see it come up, but there's a lot of people that aren't as cool headed. I mean, that kid was pretty cool headed the way he did it. I mean, he didn't, uh, he didn't waste a lot of bullets and he, and he, I mean, he, Shot people that were hurting him. So do you do you think that there's an argument to be made, though, that
0: he should have not even been there in the first place with an AR-15? I know. Well, that. Uh, I mean, the local I mean, there, so you're saying that there were no police present at all with
1: they the were told own, They were told they've been told to stand down. They're just allowing them to burn mm-hmm. the cities down, which they did in Portland and they're doing all over the country. They did it in Chicago.
0: Yeah, but I haven't heard of no police intervention whatsoever but,
1: well i mean i mean that that seems uh, well i mean how did the police get burned down
0: well people become very violent and i think it's well some don't point, you think
1: they, at that point they're fair game
0: uh for intervention of some variety yeah, i would i would think so but i you know there's only a finite amount of police officers and, and, and i would is, have to be in that situation and so this is
1: what we you know we kind of started with in the beginning as far as escalation of anger right yeah at what point at what point does somebody hit you over the head with a skateboard? then you get to shoot them. It's it's at that point, you know, because yeah. you brought a because you brought a skateboard to a gunfight. Doesn't make me bad. It's it's. it's I the, know. I just the the whole
0: scenario where you have citizens out in the street killing each other with guns. I mean, that just seems like the wild wild west. Well, though. I mean, you
1: know, I could, you know, I, you know, I've been I've been known to say that, you know, growing up on the south side, and 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 and, and I mean, I've been known to almost anything. Can be made into a weapon. Yes, almost anything. And the comical, the comical arguments that the news tries to make about assault white weapons and all this—it's almost an embarrassment. Watching the lack of qualification these people have to, to be talking about the subjects they're talking about—and like I said, it's 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 almost an embarrassment. And 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 so to think. Um, anybody can believe that stuff that they say you know and, and anybody can buy into it i mean but there's well i think i think the argument with the assault style
0: weapons is just the large magazine clips like something that you would never ever use for like hunting the second uh, that, is not for hunting well i understand that yeah it's i for think protection. i think yeah i think that that is the when people refer to assault style rifles it is the, the context is these are weapons designed to kill people or to injure people, they're not really weapons that you would ever use for hunting.
1: But the Second Amendment is not for hunting. Yeah, no, I understand, there is, I understand there your argument. It's to kill people. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're in that situation, if there's, if, I mean, if you've got anarchy, I mean, at what point, we're, you know, because what, what, you know, what, what, what people don't realize is they're blaming Trump for, for not having sent the, the, the government in, the Fed in. The, 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 the Fed can cannot intervene in a the state. They cannot without the governor inviting them in. I, one of my one of my little one of my little experiences when I worked for the state is we were um, we were invited to go down to Louisiana when Katrina hit. We we had developed some satellite trailers in the, at the state of Illinois. We were going to use them for um, for, for lottery remote lottery uh, stations, and uh, we had it, we had it prototyped and we were trying to get the governor to approve it so we could roll, roll these, these very VSAT dishes out to the um, out to remote locations that didn't have good internet so they could actually have lottery sales. When, when, um, when, when Katrina <coughs> hit and we, we began to hear about, because I was involved with IEMA, the Illinois Emergency Management Agency and Anti-Terrorism Task Force, I was involved with all that when I was at the state. So we were getting information on what was happening in Louisiana my boss went to the governor and he said, look, let us put the satellite system together. We'll roll it down to Louisiana and we'll help them out. You know? Well, in order for us to do that, we had the governor of Louisiana had to invite us to do that. We could not just show up yeah. down there. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, yeah. So there, there's, um, there's state autonomy, right? The government can't yeah. come in and, and so when people, state, But okay. people
1: are still saying it on the news. They're, they're saying, you know, Trump's offering to go in and, and they're making it sound like he's offering, but he doesn't really want to go. It's not that. He cannot go in unless the governor and then eventually the, the, the mayor yeah. allows him into their jurisdiction. and but, but on the news, it's not that clear to everybody that it's kind of being misrepresented. Like, he's making the, making the offer. And they think he's, like, standing back there saying, well, I'm going to offer you something I'm never going to give you, you know, because you're never going to let me. Yeah. Um, but, but that's not it. He's willing to go in. He's done it. He's willing to do it. And he'd love to do it, you know, because nobody wants to see these cities destroyed the way they're being destroyed.
0: No, I I, I don't think that anyone from anywhere in the country likes to watch rioting and burning down of private property. Uh, It is an unfortunate side effect to the... uh, unfortunate side effect to the racial disparity that kind of has plagued our country for hundreds of years. So starting from the obviously slavery, the the slavery roots, and then that has perpetuated uh, throughout, throughout, uh, throughout time and whatnot. And then I think it just kind of boiled over. And then you had all of the, you know, I mean, when you look at the percentages when it's, you know, to the the rioting and the looting and all of that to the peaceful protesting. I think the vast majority of the demonstrations going on are peaceful protests, which, as you know, are protected under the First Amendment. And then, of course, you know they're peaceful, so they don't really bother anyone. I mean, I know that sometimes that there's the blocking of traffic, and that you know I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that either. But the. The vast majority, from what I have seen, have been peaceful demonstrations, and of course you have the the rioting and the looting that takes place as well. And I don't know anyone that agrees with it. Uh, it is an unfortunate consequence, though. I think of all of the the tensions kind of boiling
1: over. Well, the tension is being manufactured. You know, when when um, manufactured by who? By the by the um, kind of by the media. I yeah. Mean, yeah, kind of by the way. So when
0: game. you say okay, so I guess we should dig a little bit into the tension then. So are you talking about like the racial disparity then? Well, there's race
1: there's race pimps out there, right? Now let me let me ask you let me let me ask you a question. So just we got the you know so the word racist. I mean yes. this is because they've been using this word for a long time. Yes. Um, it's it's really even a bastardization of the English language because any you take any word and you put IST after it pretty much, and it means you're an expert. It doesn't mean you're a bad guy. If you're an artist, you're kind of an expert on art. If you're a cardiologist, you're kind of an expert on, a, on, on the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, anywhere, any, 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 any skill like that, you put an IST after, you're a practitioner of it. So initially, that's what it was. That's what the word was for, is that there are characteristics. And, and when I grew up, there were only four races, white, red, yellow, black. But in the 60s, they created all these all these races, which were really nationalities. So, so somebody is really working overtime to create division points within our society. You know, when when, when we were in white, red, yellow, back, four races, and that you you cannot take Hispanics. Well, it, I mean, race. No, sorry to
0: interrupt uh, you, Jim, but race is purely a human construct as, and I'm assuming that you've probably well, I mean
1: <laughs> yes, yes, and the first categorization was my skin, and that was white, red yellow, black yeah and, and and I learned that, and I was okay with it and but then when they took when they took when they tried to do it with the with the with the now they call this Latinx crap you know you know you know you know why we really don't like this because my wife happens to be an and 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 so we really don't like these These people cre- bundling together whoever they feel like to get to to create a, a group that is going to polarize somebody, you know if it's I mean I mean most most Mexicans will identify as Mexican. They will not identify as Latinx or what they were trying to do Chicano and they were trying to do Hispanic mm-hmm. and all that there's they're not they're not anywhere near the same. I mean i mean every every country that 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 Spain went into unless their mark their genes had some other racial makeup to start with or some other yeah some other racial markup. it could have been black it could have been it could have been brown it could have been asian even i can i can cite any one of them if you're you go to the philippines guess what they're asian and and, 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 and spanish if you go to if you go to jamaica they're they're, they're they're black and, and I, not jamaica his Hispaniola, say for instance yeah they're, they're 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 black yeah no yeah i
0: think i think that <laughs> this kind of appeals to the inner nature of human beings to want to to create like us versus them like we're very tribalistic oh, yes, right. in nature and, I, and I yeah, refuse, very tribalistic in
1: nature yeah, yeah. yeah. and i refuse to uh, deal with it and, and then and then you know the other thing that um that that's caused the problem is the you know the Great Society that was created in the 60s by by Johnson, right? You know, LBJ. That, that was what, what pretty much destroyed the black family because the welfare the welfare laws were written in a way that if there was a man in the house, they didn't get a check. And and you know, and at, at the same time that was going on, because that's when I first started working my career. And there were plenty of guys that worked with me that were black. We were all in the same job, we were all buddies. And, and one of them, I remember him telling me specifically, he said, yeah, you live lived in the projects, they love living in the projects, but he said, you know, he said, because there was no, this, the projects weren't bad in the 60s, right? In the 60s, they were not, in the early 60s. And, and, and this guy lived in there and he said his dad was actually refusing raises in order to, in order to maintain his place there. Yeah. And so, uh, sorry about this. So, so you know, it's, um, it's it's been just it's just just one 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 kind of device. It, it, so at, at that time there was no no real issue. And then, and then you know, and I, I I told you about my, my my Tuskegee Airman buddy. He gave me a book that was written by one of his buddies that was captured, and he this guy describes his lifestyle as he grew up in Detroit in the '30s, and he had a car, he was going to college, and he was born. And and so so they had exactly the same same aspirations as we did, all the way up into the 60s. And and the you know and there might have been some pockets in the south that were more backward on it, but but um, you know it, there, was, there was plenty that were just like us. But but in in the 60s when when uh, the Great Society came about and the welfare laws were rewritten to break up the black families basically. That's pretty much what destroyed that population, because the first, the first unit of of society has got to be the family.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even know enough to comment on that, to be honest with you, uh, Jim. I mean, I, I don't have a, a strong background in. The, What's that? Look it up. No, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely interested now. So you said that these were welfare laws were written under LBJ? Yes,
1: yeah, it's just were. It was called the Great Society. Okay. It was around 1965. 1965. Okay. I will definitely,
0: I'll definitely check that out because I am, of course, interested to learn, to learn anything about, uh, I suppose, American history. But I, real quickly then, so just to circle back. Uh, systemic racism isn't something that you think exists in this country, then.
1: No, it's a construct just to keep division going. I mean, like I said, I, uh, the first thing the word, word, the word "racist" is stupid. It was created by somebody. It was actually actually the word first showed up in France, or in France, and it was and it really had to do with it had to do with worries about um, different communities actually integrating. It was that's what, it, but it wasn't about. This community's bad. This one's not. It was just understanding what the genes were. Yeah. That's what it no, was. No, no,
0: yeah, I can understand. So the, the I mean, the, the ideology of the word uh, racist or racism. Uh, but in your opinion, what do you think an adequate definition would be? I mean, I have my views on it. What do you I, think? There's no reason for a definition. They're humans. You don't think that there's any sort of discrimination between, you know, that someone can have towards another person based off of their race? Yeah, I can,
1: I can, just based on... An individual's experience there's there are certain situations you may be more likely to think you're going to be mugged than others I, I could tell you that as a kid you know where I told you where I grew up yes I could tell you that even though I went to school every day I, and, and you know and I, I think it's even more interesting because even as even 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 as um, Say second grade, I was walking to school, which was about a, about about a half a mile this way by myself. You know, across 59th Street into that into that school, and I went there and walked back, and it wasn't really a, a problem. You know, we but we still talked back and forth in the school. We knew that. Uh, I, I still remember when my my, uh, my my friend that you know made the comment about the communist saw, saw the first black kid he ever saw. I said, Yeah, he said, Your skin is black. And the kids said, no, it's a nice brown. That's the conversation we had. It wasn't a bad conversation. But then I remember in, in fifth grade, being told that they were having like a, like, a, like a paper drive. In the old days, they used to collect newspapers and take them to the junkyard and they'd re- recycle them. And they got money for them. So, so everybody would bring their old newspapers to the, to the school and they would have a big truck there and the kids would load, load the stuff into the truck and they take it to the, wherever they recycled it. It was something that they did. And place, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of places like that did it to raise money yeah and so I, uh real uh I, so, wait, yeah yeah go I, ahead go so ahead go so ahead. Just, just the re- only reason i brought it up is yeah. because i'm volunteering to go there i'm in like fifth grade i'll come over and help you load the papers and the and nun says to me and this had to be 1960 no this had to be like 1958 are you sure that uh your mom will let you come with the race riots going on because there were race riots in 1958.
0: Yeah. Had, no it's it's certainly unfortunate that we appear to still be dealing with this issue over division with race and uh, you know you said you don't think that systemic racism is a thing there has it has been studied for decades by social scientists and there's a lot of science good science that has been done that shows that there are still racial disparities within the country and you know do you not do you not like acknowledge that do you not you know, do I don't
1: know if You know, I mean, is it is it is it a, a, a part of understanding that if you see a certain person come in, you're more or less likely to be mocked? Right. Stereotyping no. are you talking about like stereotyping? Well, stereotype is just common sense.
0: What, what does your experience tell you about a situation? No, this is true. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly isn't perfect. Right. It
1: can definitely leave you. Leave, yeah, leave it's you it's just an approximation. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, but but, you know, it's still valid to a degree, what if you had better quality
0: evidence though? So, I mean, this is why science is so important because with the scientific method, you're able to generate really high quality evidence that is better than anecdotes uh, because it's been turned through this process. You have many different people looking at it from many different angles uh, to minimize biases that creep in because everyone
1: has those. But, but, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've said that the more that the government has been involved, with the life of the black population, the more they have kind of screwed them up with, again, with the welfare laws, um, with abortion laws, with lots of social engineering that's been worked into government programs. And and so they've really been manipulated by that. And and so but, but there was a point where they weren't. That's the point. Point is they had when I went to school, most of the kids Black and white, had a family in the '60s, but it, but, but progressively more and more, even, even, even in, in, even in suburban white families, there's, there's plenty of fatherless kids, and, and you know, and, and, and that's just, that's just uh, part of it. When you, you can see, see the, the socialists know that the nuclear family is one of their biggest problems because the nuclear family has something that has, a, has a structure to it. That, and, and so it, they have to pick out, they have to convert the whole family. Otherwise, otherwise the family will try, to, will try to maintain its own independence. And so, so the more that they can get access to the individuals of the family and, and separate it, then the, the greater influence they can have. And that, that's all, that's all, um, that, that was all stuff in Soloninsky, that was, all, that was rules for radicals. It was in, um, um, it's in the Communist Manifesto that okay a nuclear family so
0: your your thinking then is that socialists had the socialist arm of government had mm-hmm. deliberately broken apart black families
1: yeah and they're working on the on white families now too frankly by doing what with regular families well look at that you know just the uh, just the lifestyles that are going on in the country right now just the expectations I mean it, it, the, 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 the numbers bear it out by the number of kids that are born, say, out of wedlock. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this from a religious perspective or anything else. I'm just saying that, you know, if you breed it, you feed it, right? If you're going to make children, you feed it until it's an adult and can make its own decisions. And, and a lot of people don't feel that way now. And those kids become part of the state.
0: So you think that that's a recent problem then? No, with, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's I I, I, I think you probably have had that problem right. for ages where you have no, parents now being parents. No, no, you really didn't,
1: not to this level. Not to this level. I, I mean, I can tell you what happened in, um, in, in, in say in high school, back in the day when a girl got pregnant, she disappeared for a while. Basically, basically what happened, they disappeared, they went to either a convent or some kind of a halfway house somewhere. They had the baby, the baby was adopted and, and that was it. But now that they're having them and if they're, they, they, they'll get a bigger check if they keep them.
0: Yeah. yeah, So the incentives to keep having children. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely is unfortunate. However, going back to your comment about, you know, people are just having a lot of kids these days and not raising them. I. In general, the the number of children being born towards the average American or ma- average American couple is actually declining. It's at its
1: lowest yes, rate it that it's been in the past like, did 50 you know, years. Did you know that was a concerted effort? In, 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 in the 80s, I became more of something. You can look it up today. It still exists. Global well, it's Well, it's,
0: a, it's a, a consequence of people becoming more industrialized. And it's something that you see across all first world nations where, well, as you look at a country or an area of the world when it is uh, lower level, so let's talk about like you know first world, second world, third world. So let's say third world and developing, the children have a higher chance of dying. So you have women or couples having large amounts of children and then as you become industrialized women become educated they get access to birth control Uh, they know that their children have a higher chance of actually surviving childhood they realize that they don't need to have as many kids so you see a lot of people having less kids and it's just i mean we've seen this across the board it's not just in the united states but you know other industrialized first world nations like japan uh norway finland sweden they all had declining like birth weight, birth rates between uh, of couples around like 2 or below 2
1: but it's been a like i said it's been a it was it was a concerted effort and, and it was it was it was i had a name the name was global 2000 and this was this was a, a plan and it came from europe that was that was to get everybody down to zero population growth by the year 2000 that was a, that was an objective whose objective the people that were the founders and operators of Global Two Thousand. Global Two Thousand. So I'll look it up. I'll find it for you. I okay. can still find. Well, it are they? Are they like it. a part of the government then, or it, it's, it's like the socialists that are in okay. the sub subculture that exists. I mean, I can I can find references to it. Do you not
0: agree with the declining birth rate? Oh, no, I no. mean, it seems like from a sustainability yeah. standpoint. I mean, I don't I don't know how you could really disagree with it. But of course,
1: I'm willing to entertain no, You got it. Like I said, you got to You got to. Um, not not create more than you can take care of
0: no i mean i, I don't know anyone that would disagree with that jim i don't know but but yeah. people do it of course they do yeah of course they do and, uh, and that is still a problem uh, you know we're talking about, about illinois in particular chicago you know we had this issue within the uh, lower lower rungs of our or lower classes of our society where you have people who are living off of government assistance and then there's incentive to have more children and I'd have to look more into that but I mean if that is basically the end all and like th- that's the only information available then I would definitely say that something needs to be done about that like something some sort of program needs to be created to disincentivize that or the laws need to be changed well, a little bit of course you can't just let these kids you know, run around in the street and starve to death. That's inhumane. But if the system is currently set up to a degree to incentivize just having as many
1: as many children as possible. Sometimes when you create too much goodness, you just got to pull some back. Like, for instance, during this pandemic thing, they're all running around screaming about the children that are starving because they don't go to school to get a meal. Well, their mom's getting food stamps. That's their that's they're supposed to feed them and they don't, so you create another program and now we're obligated to two programs to feed the kids. The the family's still getting the food stamps and then yet we gotta have another another set up in the school system to feed the kids when they come to school. I mean I brought my cheese sandwich to school. My mother made it for me. You know, I mean they could do the same. But the more that they assume responsibility as parent to be the parent of these kids, the more they become the government's kids. Yeah, there definitely
0: has to be more individual responsibility. And how exactly you go about doing that and simultaneously ensuring that, you know, we don't have children starving in the streets uh, is is an answer that I don't really have. Well, I mean, it's one
1: of those things. I mean, sometimes um, this is a tough decision. Yeah, it's a very hard decision. Sometimes you have to say there are acceptable losses. Now you'll say, allowing children to die. You know, I'm not the one that allowed it. I mean, I didn't I didn't create it, you know, well, no system is perfect. And I, I you know, at the end of
0: the day, are, are we doing the best that we can? And if there, there, there are people who are always going to die in whatever system that we create. It's just a part of part of life. But minimizing those losses is a priority, uh, just like minimizing abuses within the systems that we create. It should be a priority, uh, you know, going back, going back to the pandemic real quick here. Uh, do you agree with the handling of it? Uh,
1: do you acknowledge that it's something yes, that I think, exists? I think, um, I think. I think. I think. Trump. See, here's the thing. So, in my in my career, I've known many C- CEOs, right? And and the truth is, Trump wasn't my first choice. I really wanted a strict constitutionalist because I would. I, I want I want the country to be run by the rules that exist, or change the rules through the through the process that's made. Don't just arbitrarily do what you're doing. And so, so I really would have preferred a strict constitutionalist. Trump wasn't my first choice, but given, given a uh, you know, potential felon as the as the president, uh, president-elect, um, I, I had to go with him. And 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 um, I'm, I'm actually I'm very I'm very I'm, be- I'm very happy with him. Um, there are some things that you know I, again I tell you about separating the concerns. When when he made the comment to John McCain that. Um, about John McCain because John McCain was a POW, ex-P.O.W., and he, he made that flippant comment. Well, I, I I like non-POWs, you know. Well, I, that should have hurt me because my dad was a POW. But but I can compartmentalize that as all right. That's flippin' talk. That's what he said. I'm not going to I'm not going to get hung, hung up on that. That doesn't that, that that's not going to stop me from 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 listening to what he's saying.
0: Yeah, but that wasn't, that's
1: not really, like, singular
0: for Trump, though. I mean, Trump makes flippant comments all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, know. so looking at them in their entirety, should there, you know, shouldn't there be some sort of this man is, you know, he's not terribly presidential, he's not diplomatic. Well, I mean, I, he's a bit of a, I mean, he's a bit of a bully, I think, that well, if you look I, I at his debate styles and how he interacts on Twitter. You
1: know, uh, bully is another term that, that I, I, I'm amused by because, you know what, when I grew up, we took care of ourselves. You know, that's it. We took care of it. And if there was a bully, well then 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 two of you went and got that bully. That's what you did. So we took care of our bullies. So but what we have now is we have like administrative bullies. Like I'm gonna sue you, you know. That's the worst thing I want is to be part of that system. I'll take I'll take hand to hand anything than to be part of that system. Really. I mean I mean find me a jury of my peers. Find me somebody that has lived my life, that's my peer, not just somebody that wants a day off work and goes to sit in the courtroom for a day as a jurist. It's very difficult to get a jurist that's gonna be of any quality. So, so I don't, I, I, I just, to me, I, I avoid the system. I just, I don't want anything to do with the system. So I stay- So would you
0: could you would you would consider yourself more of like a libertarian then? I guess so. Yeah, where you're just kind of like no government whatsoever or like very, very no, small, I mean, government, I very,
1: very small government? Very small government. Yeah, Yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean, less with less, less with less. Take less from me, do less for me. That's what I want. And and if you just do the articulated powers in the Constitution, that's all they got to do. Get rid of all the rest of the crap, I'd probably be happy.
0: You know, I mean. I just, don't think that, I, just, I just don't think that the Constitution really can capture all aspects of, like, American society. Which it doesn't is why have to. It doesn't have I to. I mean, it's a, they're great axioms, right? It's a great starting point. I think that it's a wonderful it doesn't document. it yeah. why, why don't you want your freedom? I don't I want don't, freedom. I, yeah, of course I want freedom. I think everybody wants I want freedom yeah, but to You anymore. want your
1: freedom, right? And so, so you don't want to have to go to the government and get a permit for everything you want to do. You know, you know there, there used to be a you Now They're tearing all the statues down. I can't remember who the statue was, but it was in Grant Park before they built the Grant Park Garage. And it was, some, I don't know who the guy was, but the inscription was something, I'll paraphrase it, an individual's rights extend to the point where they impact another individual's rights. That's the way to look at rights. It's if if you, what you're doing is impacting somebody else's right, then you hit your limit. You can't go past that. Yeah, and that's really all you got to know. I just, it just
0: seems overly simplistic. I would love to live in a world that that was simple, Jim. I really, really would. Well, I uh, mean, it just, it just seems, given how complex society is and well, how complex it's been made the world to is,
1: be complex.
0: But I don't know if it's I don't know if it's avoidable. That's a thing. It just seems like we're increasingly becoming more complex, and that we can't. So you create another agency to make it less complex while adding to complexity in the process because you created right. another agency. I don't Right. right. I mean, possibly, like, listen, I, uh, so to a degree, I of course agree with you that optimizing government intervention in anything is something that we should strive for. You know, don't waste money. Make sure that you have the, the right amount of people to get the job done. Uh, optimizing government overreach. I don't think that the government has a right to come in and dictate completely how I live my life, but it is nice. I mean, at the end of the day, they're people, just like you and I, right? These are people that we elect to these positions.
1: But you know, I think I described to you, though, the attitude that they get when I experienced when I was in the government. And I can certainly appreciate they get that. a level
0: you, of power. Yes, yes. And I think you can make a similar argument, though, with people that gain power in the private sector
1: as well. But you know what? I don't have to buy their product. You know what? I don't have to buy their product. That's true. But you don't have to go for the politician either. It's different. It's different. There's no there's there's not necessarily another option. See so we're in the private and that's the beauty of our of our society. If there's a if there's a market, there's gonna be enough people to serve that market as the market can support. Okay. That are gonna participate in it and every one of those every one of those participants is an option for me. And if not I'll build it myself. Yeah. You know? I, I don't I do, think yeah. I, I think to a degree, I,
0: I agree with you on that. That you definitely have more options when it comes to the private sector than you do
1: with the public sector. Do you remember before the Department of Education existed? I do not know. Okay, I do. And in the in the 70s and 80s, when I was like interested, when I was in school, uh, I'd look at a lot of studies. That's why I know about Global 2000. I used to read a lot of things, that, and and so there, there used to be studies about the education systems across the across the world right and before before there was a department of education the US was always one or two compared to the Russians and that was it out of every country in the world the US was always one or two Russian was one we were two or the other way around that they always competed back and forth and the other European countries were kind of like uh, kind of like in the you know lower than that and uh, now we're like 39 in the world now that we have the department of education and, and and look at that nonsense the most recent thing that common core they were trying to put on our people i mean they, they they pretty much destroyed the education system they made it into the made it into daycare they made it into a lunchroom, they made it into a bus a busing thing um what and and they don't and, and now they're getting rid of the books you know so so they pretty much destroyed the education system so really they just need to get out of it Let the let the state run the education system because you can vote for the people in the state. You can look them in you can go. You don't have to go that far to look them in the eye and have a conversation with them. But in the Fed, you cannot find somebody in the Department of Education to talk to. And so you do not need those bureaucrats in there doing all this stuff. And that's just one agency. I mean, there's plenty of them, you know?
0: Yeah, I am. I mean, I can't defend all of the government agencies actions. Uh, I mean, we, we could talk you know, ad infinitum or like forever about where exactly do you draw the line? Uh, regarding education, I absolutely agree that the education system in this country needs to be improved. And how exactly do we go about doing that? I, I don't precisely know at this moment in time. Right. Here. There are some interesting solutions coming from the private sector to try to, you know, fix what has happened in the public sector. Yeah. You know, for example, like the uh, the online learning, like Coursera. I think that's a non-profit, though, but it's still, it's still not government-funded. It's still within the but, private sector, but so it's a really, really interesting idea for online learning and opening up access to education to anyone that has an internet connection. So, so, so it,
1: you know, for me, um, I took the long way around to get my education, right? Because before I went in the military, <laughs> I just, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. I just, I just didn't want it. I was a little bit too, too, too free-spirited. The military was there, and I and I had a friend of mine, who legitimately went to you know he worked all summer after high school, uh, got accepted at IIT, uh, finished his first semester. He he had to work all summer right to get to get his tuition right. He, he went to the, he went to school. The next the next I don't know if it was the next year or the next semester he had to take a, a semester off, to work to accumulate money again because there were not student loans like there are now, so so he, he worked. And while he was off working to, to accumulate his tuition, it was a legit job, he was at Motorola, he got his readings letter, he was drafted. Well, he didn't want to go, he didn't go, he, under, he was underground the rest of his life, right? So, because that, so, so, so that, was, that was the way it was. And so for me, I didn't have the financial means to go to school or go to college after, after high school. My family certainly didn't. So, so I, and that's why I went to work at the phone company right away. And they would have had, they had some tuition aid, but it wouldn't have been enough to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to really for me to go to school and work at the same time and try to get an education. So that's why I just conceded. I said I went to the military, plus I didn't mind defending my country. So, so, so that's what I did. Uh, when I got out, I had, the, I had the GI Bill. So I finished my, my associate degree in the junior colleges because I was raising my family at the same time. So I wasn't like going away to school. You know, so I finished my my associate degree, and it took a few years because of the schedule I had to work. Yeah, right. Of course. And then and then I I was off for uh, for a few years. I didn't I didn't go to school at all. And then I went back to school. But what I noticed so during the Vietnam War, it was the biggest Vietnam War was the biggest um, biggest the biggest boon I'd say to the education system because so many people went draft dodgers didn't they went to the they went into the education system to, to get, a, get a 2S deferment because if you were a full-time student you got a 2S deferment. You did not get drafted as long as you had a 2S deferment. So but if you if you fail the class one class two classes I don't know what the criteria was but you were likely to use lose your deferment if you were not if you were not succeeding in school. So okay. So they people were taking basket weaving. We joke about it, but you know a lot of a yeah, lot of um, humanities and social studies, yeah, of course people are going to take the easy way out. Which, right? which I call those opinion classes because there's really no science behind most of them. It's just whatever the teacher wants you to put down, And you get an A in those in those humanities classes and social sciences classes. That's <laughs> kind of what they are. And so so these people took those classes, and then after four years, guess what? The war's still going on. They're unemployable with the degree they got. So they get a master's degree. And then two years later, the war's still going on. They're unemployable. They get their PhD. Well, now they become a professor. OK, first thing, the first strike against them, draft dodger. They, they refused to go serve their country when it needed them. Secondly, didn't take meaningful subjects in college. Third, they're unemployable in the private market, so they become a professor. So now, now they become a professor. This is when the colleges got really, really liberal. This is, at the same time because I went to school over so many years, I got to see the number and the type of humanities classes that were being added to the to the curriculums. And, and why? Because they absorb all these people, draft dodgers, absorb them into the system, and they're the radicals that have been indoctrinating the kids ever since. Because they're justifying their initial cowardice by not not doing their job, not supporting their country.
0: Well, I mean, I. <sighs> And I don't want to I don't want to sit here and, you know, rip apart the humanities. I mean, there's well, certainly I'm just saying I'm just saying, I mean, and, you know, there's also another argument to be made, too, that it's not just, you know, you're talking about the liberal atmosphere of colleges these days. I I mean, I don't know if that's absolutely every college campus. I know that no. it's probably fair to say that a good chunk of them are liberal, progressive you know, gender neutral bathroom bathrooms, things of the, these nature, things of this nature. Uh, However, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to find that like across the entire institution. I mean, there are still very hard sciences and things of that nature. Less and less. Where,
1: less and less and less. So, and I
0: mean, I don't know I, if they're being, if they're being loaded up on humanities though, like, like well, top heavy on
1: humanities. Well they, well, they did that because they absorbed all these people, and then, and then, and then the. And then the but Fed, I mean, what would be the incentive from the universities to do that to absorb these people? Because every student is tuition. Because at the same time, the Fed came up with a, with a more enhanced student loan program right i mean they, the states used to used to manage student loan programs let it would say illinois have one they used to yeah. and i and I, I worked with the people in that well, agency yeah we still have that we have still have February, well, federally backed it's even student more though system. it's federally backed you see yeah. that's the point the point is when the fed make, enables puts money into a market they create another distortion this is true i think that any sort of any sort
0: of manipulation that you make in any aspect of society society is going to to change it in some way yeah. and that whether and how it changes hopefully you know the pros outweigh the cons. There's always going to be side effects, right? Well, and I think fundamentally too, having a more educated population makes sense
1: for well, a country. That, if it was education, so so let's say let's say we get out of the humanities and social studies and get into math, science, engineering, and and spend and spend spend time on that, and and cut down the scope. See, because that, that, that's really the issue. The issue is that people are learning. They're not learning use of Useful skills, and then they get out there and they really don't know. They can't be unemployable. When I, when I, you know, when i in mean, my jobs, I, I really hated the fact that I had to use foreign contractors in the IT industry. I really hated that. I really didn't like it Is at that all. Americans. Yeah. I really didn't like it at all. But guess what? I couldn't get I couldn't get candidates. Yeah. We, the, our colleges are not putting out enough. So you it used to be in the universities. They actually did core research. They really did core research. They really did engineering. I mean, um, but
0: not anymore. I mean, I still. I mean, is this just kind of like a feeling that you have, or like what evidence do you have that we don't do engineering anymore? I mean, that just seems. There's some. I mean, that seems that seems a little far fetched. Well, we don't don't
1: do engineering. There's some, but 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 again, you know, I said a lot of this is a lot of it's anecdotal. A lot of it, a lot of it is that when I went to school myself, you know, when I transitioned from the junior colleges when I went for my four-year degree. I wanted one that had a schedule and a, and a and a proximity to me that was actually useful. So I ended up going to Roosevelt, the most liberal college we probably have around here, you know. But I was able to get I was able to get the IT training I wanted because they didn't have any IT professors. They were hiring them all out of Bell Labs. So so I was able to get what I wanted in that niche. But I had to take art classes and all kinds of stuff I never had no interest in. So. But but, you know, I, I understand. I'm glad I did because be, only because now I can speak about it with some level of of credibility anyway, because I, I, I did it. I was in it. I went to, the, you know, they made me go and I, and I did them off campus, too, which is kind of interesting now because I couldn't I just didn't want to go to a classroom. Yeah. So I did them off campus. I, so I, I they gave me a book of places I had to visit, exhibits I had to look at. I was supposed to critique it and and um, and then, and then and i turn it into a professor, and the professor would, we have phone calls, whatever we had to do. Right? So, so, um, so, I, I mean, I, I saw it, I understand it. And I, if, I said, you know, I mean, this is just this is, this gonna be entertaining if, if it's what you like to do, but I'm not an observer, I'm a doer. So, so for me to go and want to look at art, um, I can get it. I could sit there and calm down for a minute and, and probably enjoy it, but I'd rather not. You know? It's not. It's certainly not for everyone. So, yeah. so you know, it, it's. Um, um, but I didn't. I didn't like taking the classes. See, they made me take the classes. I'm yeah, strictly they, an engineer. The, you know? You're talking
0: about um, like your general requirements that you have to take when. Yes. Yeah. You why do they, You know, I'm not a huge fan of that either. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I do like, for example, writing, like English. I think that that's fair. I think that the average person yeah, should I know don't how. To, so. Yeah, so I think so. Yeah, that's fair. But some of the general requirements I think are worth getting rid of. Uh, maybe there's some that are worth adding, like for example, well, critical thinking. I think should actually be a part of a general requirement. I, for, I,
1: I wouldn't trust them to actually be able to. You wouldn't
0: trust them to be able to do it. No, mm-hmm. yeah. that's fair. <laughs> uh, anyway, Jim, I you know we've talked about a number of wonderful topics, and I I just want to thank you again for coming on. Uh, for those of you that are joining us, uh, thank you so much. I really really hope that you have learn from this interaction between Jim and I obviously there's a number of things that we don't agree on but none of us were yelling at each other we just sat and have had a civilized conversation and hopefully each of us had learned something from one another we'll go home and maybe do some reading of our own Uh, make sure to you know share share on social media go ahead and hit that like button leave us a review and definitely stay tuned until the next episode take care